Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you. For the sake of those who are new, uh, my name is Mike Sorsonelli. I have the great privilege of being a good, uh, close friend of Pastor Dave's. It's also my great honor to be one of the board members of Chair City Church. And uh, as a board member, Pastor Dave asks me every so often to come out and uh, preach to you guys. And so my executive pastor is back in Springfield, Massachusetts, preaching for me today so that I can preach for Pastor Dave. Every time I see you guys, there's more of you. And uh, the entire ride down here, <laughs> I was just wondering and asking God how he continues to bless a church whose lead pastor is a Steelers fan. And I just can't figure it out. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But um, God works in mysterious ways. It's true. So uh, just kidding, of course, Pastor Dave. Hey, Pastor told me that you guys are in a series right now called First, and he asked me to choose a theme in keeping um, with that topic. And so today I've chosen to come, uh, prayerfully chosen to come and speak to you about putting God first in your day. So that's what we're talking about today. I'm sure you realize that God wants us to put him first in every single area of our lives, not just in our day. We put God first in our week by coming to church on the first day of the week, Sunday, and worshiping him. We put God first in our finances uh, by tithing and giving our offerings to the Lord. We put God first in our career by not just seeking to do our job, but seeking in our job to also do God's work of sharing Jesus with people who are far from him. And so in every sphere of life, we seek to put God first. And that includes or should include putting God first in our day. This is so important. The book of Haggai in the Old Testament teaches us that when we fail to put God any uh, other place than first in our lives, God actively works against us and removes his blessing from resting over our lives, and that's not what we want. What we want is to put God first. Putting God first is a sign of honor, and it's a way that we worship him. Um, think of it in this simplistic way. Imagine having a birthday party, you being the birthday boy or the birthday girl, and getting the piece of cake after you blow out the candles last instead of first. I mean, don't we usually give the birthday boy or the birthday girl the first piece of cake? And why do we do that? We do that to show special honor to that person. Or take this for example, maybe even on the way into church this morning, husband and wife walking side by side, they come to the entrance door and let's pretend there weren't beautiful host team greeters there. What would the husband do if he doesn't want to sleep on the couch tonight? What does he do? He says, Honey, you first. And why does he do that? It's a way that, that the husband can honor his wife and just kind of put her first. And it's a similar way how it works with God. We put him first as a way to honor him. And since he is God Almighty, like we just sung about during our time of worship, we, we put him first to honor him and to worship him. It's an act of worship. So today we're going to talk about how we can honor and worship God by putting him first specifically in our day. Now, I'm kind of big on, on lesson notes. Pastor Dave was kind enough to go ahead and print these out. Um, it's cool if you want to write these notes down in your head, but I promise you, you'll remember them more if you write them down on paper. So no pressure, but if you'd like to, we have provided uh, that for you 
today. So let's begin with this, how we put God first in our day. Here's your first fill in the blank. We put God first in our day by starting it with what we call a quiet time. By starting it with what we call a, a quiet time. Now, I realize there's first-time guests here each and every week. Some of you maybe don't have any kind of church background, and you're saying, what in the world is a quiet time? So let's go ahead and begin by defining the quiet time. The quiet time is simply a daily time of personal fellowship with God through Bible reading and prayer. So your quiet time consists of Bible reading and prayer. And today, in this sermon, it's my aim to kind of cover the three practical aspects of having uh, an effective daily time to connect with God. So I'm going to begin by, by sort of sharing with you why in the world is this even important. In other words, I'm going to begin by sharing why it's important to have a quiet time with God. Then we're going to move into section two of the sermon and talk about how to actually go ahead and have this time of daily fellowship with God. And then in the third and final part of the sermon, I'm going to teach you the number one temptation you're going to have to overcome so that you actually go ahead and connect with God each day and you're not giving in to the temptation um, to skip it. So there's an overview of what I'm going to cover today. All right, let's kind of dive right into section number one. Why? Should we have a quiet time? Let me give you what I believe to be three compelling reasons why we ought to have a quiet time. Number one, if you're taking notes, because we need fellowship with God. A couple months ago, my wife uh, read a book by Corey Tenboom called The Hiding Place. And it just talked about how Corey and her family hid the Jews during the Holocaust during World War II. And as I read that book, I found it very interesting, the Nazi strategy to suppress the Jewish people. They didn't give them enough food. Though there was many of them, they couldn't do an uprising against the Nazis because they were so physically deprived of food. That led them to be, number one, physically weak, and then that led, of course, to number two, becoming physically ill and in that condition physically they just weren't able to do an uprising against the nazis they just couldn't do it they were too weak well did you know that the bible speaks of god's word as spiritual bread which provides sustenance for our spirit like when we need sustenance for our physical body we eat bread we eat physical food when we need sustenance for our spirit we feast on God's word. And this is why all throughout scripture, God's word is referred to as food. For example, let's take a look at Matthew chapter four, verse four. Jesus said this, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Spiritually speaking, when we're not feasting on God's word by reading it, putting God first each morning by reading our Bible and praying, we become spiritually weak, then we become spiritually ill, and that's when Satan has his way and wreaks devastation and destruction in our lives. We can't fight the good fight of faith without being properly nourished, spiritually speaking. So, so it's not like a nice thing to have this daily quiet time with God. We need this daily quiet time with God. So that's the first reason to connect with God each morning. Here's the second reason. Because it's our privilege as Christians 
It's our privilege as Christians to connect with God. Let's pretend your favorite actor or your favorite actress or let's pretend your favorite person in the Super Bowl next Sunday says to you, let's pretend Tom Brady says to you, hey, um, I was in town and uh, I hear you're a really neat person and I would just love to spend some time with you tomorrow. You'd be like, oh my goodness, unless you're Pastor Dave, then you wouldn't meet with him. But for the rest of us who are going to heaven, we would say, Tom Brady. We would say, Tom Brady, I will meet with you anytime. And he's go, here's the thing, though, he says. Here's the thing. I got the Super Bowl, so the only time I can meet with you in the midst of this busy week and busy schedule, I can only meet with you tomorrow at 3 a.m. What would you say? You say, I'll meet you at 2 a.m. I will meet you in the snow with no shoes on, no shirt on. It doesn't matter. I'll meet with you anywhere, anytime. Doesn't matter. You name it, because what a privilege to spend a little time with someone who is so important. This is what we would do with our favorite football player, our favorite actor, our favorite actress, our favorite president, whoever that might be, you know, and just, hey, I'll meet with you anytime. But then when it comes to God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, sometimes we say, oh, yeah, you want to meet with me each morning. You know, I'm kind of tired. I was up watching Netflix last night too late and... Uh, you know, I'm just going to kind of sleep in, and we have this double standard. Is God, God Almighty, like we sung about in worship, or is he not? And if he is, what a privilege to meet with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says that God has called you into fellowship. And the second reason I want to give you today for why you ought to have this daily quiet time with God is because having this time of fellowship with God what an unbelievable privilege it is to spend time with God. All right, here's the third and final reason of why we ought to have a daily quiet time. Number three, because we gain tremendous benefits from it. Like if time permitted, I, I could list so many different benefits of having a quiet time. The benefits of joy, uh, strength, peace, stability, success, answered prayer. Uh, but because our time is limited, I'll just say that one of the biggest benefits that we gain from spending time with God is this. We become more like him in our character. No doubt you've heard of uh, the saying, comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, bad company corrupts uh, good character. But a lot of times we don't realize that the opposite is also true. Good company cultivates good character. And there's no better character to spend time with than God. And when we spend time with people who have corrupt character, they rub off on us in a negative way. But conversely, when we connect with God each day and spend time with him, he rubs off on us in a good way. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. When we spend time with God, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We become more like him when we spend time with him in our character, which then results in more godly conduct. So friends, these are three reasons why we ought to spend time with God. We need fellowship with God. It's our great privilege as Christians, for those of us who are, to spend time with God. And we spend time with God because of the tremendous benefits that come from doing so. So that's kind of section one of my sermon today, why we ought to spend time with God. 
Now let's move into the second section where I want to discuss with you just briefly how to actually spend time with God each day, how to actually have a daily quiet time of fellowship with God. Now let me be very clear right before I jump in, this is not the only way to have fellowship with God. I just want to be clear on that. What I'm giving you today is one spiritual workout program that you could do in the morning. But it's kind of like this, if you went to the gym, your trainer might say to you, here's one approach that we're going to do, and we're going to do this for a couple months, and then so that your muscles just don't adjust to it and your body just stops reacting to the workouts, we're going to switch it up, and I'm going to kind of have you start doing this. There's multiple ways to work out physically, and yes, there's multiple ways to work out spiritually. So don't think that when you learn this method that I'm going to teach you today, that it's the only way that a human can have fellowship with God Almighty. It's not but it is one really great way. It's the way I used this morning to fellowship with God before I drove out here to be with you all. All right, how to actually have a daily quiet time. Let's jump in. Step number one is this, it's real simple, reach out to God. Reach out to God. In other words, you actually don't want to just dive right in to your Bible study without first taking a minute to pray. That's what I mean when I say reach out to God. You want to begin with a prayer. There's this wonderful prayer I love praying in Psalm 119, verse 169. It's a simple prayer. The psalmist just says this, God, I'm about to begin studying your word. And he says, give me understanding according to your word. Friends, if you'll ask God for his help, he'll help you. It's kind of like this. I am directionally challenged, to put it mildly. I could have Siri in my pocket available to help me with step-by-step directions if I just ask her. But you know what happens if I don't ask her? She does not give me step-by-step directions to get where I need to go, and I usually get lost. In the same way, God doesn't automatically assist us in understanding the scriptures. The Bible says we are to ask him for help. And when you ask, you can have confidence that God will answer your prayers. Because how many of you understand that the Bible, it's God's revelation, it's not his riddle. God wants you to understand his word even more than you want to understand his word. It's not his riddle, it's his revelation. So when we pray for his help, we can have every confidence that he will answer our prayer. So step one, you say, God, please help me. I'm about to read the scriptures. God, I want to understand what I'm reading. Please help me. Once you've done that, now number two, step number two, if you're taking notes, now you want to read a particular passage of Scripture. So first, reach out to God. Then number two, read a particular passage of Scripture. We see this in the book of Psalm 119, verse 15. The psalmist said, God, I will study your commands. And that's what we're to do. Once we reach out to God, then we're to read a particular section of Scripture and and study it. Now, to help us have a specific section of Scripture to read each day, I'm just a huge proponent of Bible reading plans. Bible reading plans uniquely, like no other resource out there that I'm aware of, give us a particular section of Scripture to go ahead and read or study each and every day. 
Now, if you're not sure where to find a good reading plan, I want to introduce you to a wonderful resource this morning called Bible.com. And our wonderful uh, production team in the back have uh, queued that video, and I want to show it to you at this time. Take a look so you know how it works. So simply visit Bible.com, and when this page loads, you're going to click on Plans over here in the upper left-hand corner. When you do, it's going to populate a list of different Bible reading plans. Um, you can study God's Word by topic. You can study the topic of doubt or love or anxiety or healing. Or you can just choose a plan that will take you through the Bible. I want to recommend that you click here on Whole. And when you do, you're going to see a list of options that will take you through the Bible systematically so that you cover the whole Bible. Now, some of these plans take you through the Bible in a year. Some take you through the Bible in eight months. Others down here take you through the Bible in 90 days. There's just something for everyone. Now, what I really like about Bible.com is that you have the option to systematically study your Bible on your phone, on your tablet, or on your computer. And if you're not much of a reader, that's not a problem. You can actually listen to the Bible, like when you're getting ready in the morning or when you are working out um, at the gym, or maybe on your car ride to work or home from work, or maybe even over your lunch break. So again, if you uh, need a suggestion for a Bible reading plan to follow this year, visit Bible.com and just follow these instructions. So after you reach out to God in prayer asking for understanding, step two is to read a particular passage of scripture and a Bible reading plan will help you to have a focus to each daily quiet time that you have. So number two, read a particular passage of scripture. Now, step number three. Thirdly, you want to reflect on what you've read. Reflect on what you've read. To reflect on something simply means to think on something. And the biblical word for thinking is the biblical word meditation. We meditate on the scriptures, we think on them, we reflect on their meaning once we go ahead and read the scriptures. The psalmist said this in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. Now, a lot of people actually don't understand what it is they ought to be meditating on when they're thinking on the scriptures. So I actually want to make this abundantly clear to you today. In case you never were told, here's what we're supposed to be meditating on. Here's the question you're trying to answer when you read a particular passage of Scripture. You're asking this question. What did the original author intend to communicate to his original audience? That's what you ought to be meditating on. What did the original audience, author intend to communicate to the original audience? God's message to the people through that author, that's God's message to us. We don't just come to Scripture and say, oh, this just means whatever I think it means to me. Oh, yeah, Scripture means all kinds of different things to all kinds of different peoples. That's false. That's heresy, my friends. A, different, a certain verse may have multiple applications but only one meaning. So when we study our Bible, we are spiritual detectives doing our book work in order to understand what the original author was trying to say to the original audience. Now, I do have a second video for you 
I want to show you in just a second. And this video will reveal to you one of the most helpful resources that I personally use in my quiet time, like I did this morning in my daily quiet time. Um, it's also one of the best resources I use when I'm preparing a sermon uh, like the one that I've prepared for you today and like the ones that I prepare for the church that I lead over in Springfield, New Day Church. All right, so let me show you this video and uh, make sure you jot down the notes of the URL so that you can benefit from it. So let's go ahead and, and roll that video. Simply visit gty.org. This is a website of an excellent Bible teacher named John MacArthur. Just to be clear, as a church, we are not perfectly theologically aligned uh, with the things that he believes, but um, in many, many, many areas, uh, we are aligned. And so I still think this site is an excellent uh, resource. So what you're going to do, let's pretend that you were studying the book of Haggai, the uh, book that inspired this teaching series that we're going through right now. You're going to type in the name of that book or any book of the Bible, and you're just going to hit search. Almost always, the very first thing that appears is what's called Bible introductions. So you're going to click on Haggai. All right. And here is a beautiful, free Bible introduction to the book of Haggai. You're going to learn what the title means. You're going to learn about the author and the date of that writing. You're going to learn about the background and setting. You're going to learn about the historical and theological themes of the book. You're going to learn about the interpretive challenges of the book. And then you're going to get an outline and chronology of the book. And I cannot tell you how unbelievably helpful this information is in trying to do the detective work of discovering authorial intent. Especially the background and setting information gives us the context in which the original author wrote. And once you understand the context, you can better discern the original author's message to his original audience. Very helpful tool. So again, in case you missed it, our goal when meditating on the scripture, reflecting on what we've read, is to discover what the original author intended to communicate to his original audience. A resource like this or a study Bible or a commentary are all great tools that you can use to discover what we call authorial intent, what the author meant to the original audience. God's message to them through that author is God's message to us. Okay, all this detective work that we've just talked about, though, you need to understand is a means to an end. When we do all this studying, when we do all this reflecting and meditating, it's all for this purpose. Number four in your lesson notes, you'll see it's so we can do this. It's so we can respond in a practical way. How many of you understand that we're not to be hearers of the word, we're to take what we hear and we're to put it into practice in our lives in a practical way. The Apostle James, Jesus' brother, put it this way in James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Sometimes people come to Chair City Church and maybe they wonder why Pastor Dave doesn't spend more time talking about the monster in the book of Revelation who has 13 heads and this and that and the other. Hey, there's times where we cover topics like that at this church, but here's the deal. The goal of biblical preaching, the goal of biblical Bible study is not to make us smarter sinners, rather to make us more like the Savior. 
And so when we study God's word or we hear it preached to us at church, any good church is going to give you practical steps to help you apply God's word to your life. Because if at the end of the sermon you go, wow, I'm impressed with how much the preacher knows, that's a bad sermon. We ought to leave going, I know just how to put God's word to practice in my everyday life. If you can't take what you learned on a Sunday and live it out come Monday, like we've missed it. Because all the detective work we do, all the reflecting, all the meditating, all the studying, all the background information that we research to discover authorial intent, it's all for this purpose, that we might respond to God's word in a practical way. So let me just make this real simple for you. Let's pretend this morning you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All right, you just read how God wants you to be kind. Once you've intellectually understood that God wants you to be kind, you're not done with your quiet time. Before you leave the house, you want to practice kindness to your spouse, to your kids. You say, I'm not married. Practice kindness to your dog. How many dog owners know? Sometimes we've got to be kind to our dogs because, like, they drive us nuts, you know? It's not enough to intellectually understand from the scriptures that God cares for the lost. Let's pretend this morning you read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not wanting any to perish, but God wants all humanity to come to repentance through faith in Jesus. It's not good enough to intellectually just know that God cares for the lost, like you're not done with your quiet time. You want to leave your house that day praying, God, help me to run into someone today that I can talk to with them about Jesus. You want to say, God, help me to share my faith today with a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, or, or what have you. And if you just end your time with an intellectual understanding of what God wants you to do, but you don't actually respond by doing that thing, you really haven't had an effective quiet time. God's word was given to us to apply to our lives. And friends, can I encourage you with this? When you apply God's word to your life in a practical way, now your faith is distinguished from Satan's faith and from the faith of demons. You say, wait, Satan and the demons have faith? Well, I mean, yeah, they believe in God, so in that sense they have faith. But they don't have a saving faith. You say, but I know the scriptures and that's good enough. It's not good enough to know the scriptures. You have to do the scriptures. You say, wait, how is it not good enough to know the scriptures? Satan knows the scriptures. Today when you get home, go read Matthew chapter 4. Satan doesn't just know the scriptures. He's quoting the scriptures from memory. But Satan's not going to heaven. Why? Because he only has an intellectual understanding of the scriptures. He doesn't apply it to his life in a practical way. That's why the apostle James, Jesus' brother, talks about like, like the faith of demons. It's not a saving faith. They know God's word, but they don't put it into practice in a practical way. So again, once you study a certain passage of scripture, using maybe a Bible reading plan from Bible.com, then you want to reflect on what you've read, trying to understand authorial intent, but even then you're not done. Because step four here is then you want to respond in a practical way by applying what you've learned to your life. Okay, I said that the quiet time consists of two things. Let's see who is paying attention. I said it consists of, number one, Bible reading. And number two, I said it consists of, begins with a P, prayer. There we go. All three of you, I'm so glad you were paying attention. 
I'm just kidding. All right. So now that you've done steps one through four, you're, you're kind of done with the Bible reading portion of the quiet time. Now as we move into step number five, we're shifting gears, and now we're moving into a time of prayer with God. And Jesus makes very clear in Matthew chapter six that there's five basic requests that we ought to make of God each day. So first, let me give you number five. Your fill in the blank is this. Number five, you request of God what you need for that day. Once you've finished your Bible reading time, now you want to move into your time of prayer where number five, you request of God what you need for that day. Now, Pastor Dave told me that you guys as a church, you just did a whole series called the Lord's Prayer where you broke down the Lord's Prayer and probably spent a week or so on the different parts. And so I certainly don't want to just regurgitate all that, but let me give you an overview here of the Lord's Prayer. Because in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, hey, here's five things you need to request of God on a daily basis. Number one, Jesus says, ask God to help you live a life of praise. When you say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, what you're praying is actually a request. You're saying, God, may your name be praised today in my life. You're saying, God, today may your praises be on my lips. You're saying, God, today uh, may my life, as I live it among a lost world, may your name be, be given praise and glory and honor through the way in which I live among the lost. Long story short, this is the first request we're to make of God. God, help me to live a life of praise. All right, secondly, Jesus says, here's the second request you make of God each day. Number two, ask God for help in living out his purpose for your life. When you pray, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're simply praying, God, may your purposes for my life come to fruition. God, I want your will to be done on earth just as it will one day when your eternal kingdom begins on earth during the millennium. And this is the second prayer that we ought to pray each day. God, I want to live out your purpose for my life. Here's the third request Jesus says we ought to make of the Father each day. Number three, Jesus says, ask God for provision for your needs. This is the heart of what you're getting at when you say, Heavenly Father, give us today our daily bread. In other words, God, give us what we need to survive. God, please meet all of our needs in a practical way. So if you're in financial need, you pray to God for that. If you're in physical need, maybe you need healing, you pray to God for that. Maybe you're suffering from an addiction and you say, God, my need is freedom from this debilitating um, addiction that I have. Whatever it might be, you, you ask God for provision for your needs. That's the third request Jesus says to make of God each day. Now, here's the fourth, and don't miss this one. This is important. Jesus says, fourthly, ask God for pardon from your sins. Every day, whether we mean to or not, it sins both intentionally and unintentionally. And that's why we have need, Jesus says, to ask God on a daily basis for pardon from sin. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, this is basically what we're saying. God, please pardon me from sin. And Jesus attaches a condition. He says, 
in order for us to be forgiven of our sins, we must first forgive those who sin against us. So forgiveness or pardon from sin is the fourth request we make of God each day. Now here's the fifth and final request. Jesus says when you're praying, there's five things you ought to request of God. And here's the fifth. Ask God for spiritual protection from temptation. You know how in the Lord's Prayer you say, Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When we pray that, we're praying, God, there are certain temptations in my life that are completely avoidable. When temptation is avoidable, God, give me wisdom in setting up my life in a way where I just avoid the temptation. How many of you know if you're a married man and you just make it a rule for yourself not to be alone uh, with a woman who is not your spouse? How many of you know you're never going to commit adultery? You can set up safeguards in your life to avoid many, many, many common temptations. On the other hand, no matter what safeguards you set up in your life, you're never going to avoid temptation completely. And that's when you say, God, hey, deliver, uh, you know, God, lead me not into temptation, but for the times that I can't avoid it, for the times when I'm face to face with it through no fault of my own, God, deliver me from evil. Jesus says this is the fifth request we ought to make of God each day. Because we have a spiritual nemesis named Satan who wants to kick our spiritual head in. He doesn't want us putting God first, like we're talking about in this series. He wants us to put God last. He doesn't want us to be spiritually strong by having a daily time of fellowship with God. He wants us to be spiritually weak so we become spiritually ill, so that when temptation comes our way, we lose. It's a battle, and whichever army is better fed, that's the one that's going to win. That's why this all goes back to it being so important that we have this daily quiet time with God. Okay, we're coming to a close. This last section is very, very short. But number one, we covered why we ought to have a daily quiet time. I just finished section two where I talked about how to go ahead and have a daily quiet time. Now, number three, I want to talk about the temptation we're going to have to overcome in order to not skip the daily quiet time that we've now learned is so important. So there's a battle that you face every day, whether you realize it or not. You've fought this battle tens of thousands of times over the course of your life, maybe more, maybe less, depending on how uh, old or young you are. But this battle, you have to win if you're going to have a daily quiet time with God. Real simply, here's your next fill in the blank. You have to win what's called the battle of the blankets. All right, we live in New England. If I asked for a show of hands and said, who has an electric blanket? You'd raise your hands. And for those of us who have an electric blanket, yes, I'm in that category. It's extra hard to win the battle of the blankets. So right before I close in prayer, let me just be real practical with you. Every day you're going to get up and you're going to want to have this daily quiet time with God and the temptation uh, to lose the battle of the blankets is going to be real and it's just going to come against you. So here's the deal. You got to go to bed on time. You can't burn the candles at both ends. And if you burn the candles at both ends, you might not be as bright as you think you are, okay? Like it's just the way it works. Go to bed on time. You can't be up late and up early, not consistently. All right, another thing. Put the alarm on the other side of the room if you're undisciplined at getting up. Some of you say, even that's not good enough. Fine, put it on the other side of the house. 
Just make sure it's not so far away that you can't hear it, okay? Find that perfect happy medium. Another tip, uh, make sure you have the right attitude. Don't say, the quiet time is nice, but it's not needed. No, we talked about it is needed. It's not, it's not nice, but we could go without. It is needed to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. And, and then the last little thing here I'll give you as a tip to win the battle of the blankets is this. Refuse to tell yourself the lie, I, I, don't, have, I don't have the time. To, to connect with God. We all have 168 hours each week, and we'll use that time doing what we feel is important. So we see it's not really a matter of time, but a matter of priorities. The question is, what's important to you? The question is, what are you going to put first in your life? In this series, we're learning to put God first. He wants to be first in our week. He wants to be first in our finances. He wants to be first in our career. And friends, he wants to be first in our day. Going back to Haggai, when we prioritize God first place in our lives, his blessing rests over us and God works in our favor instead of working against us. So, man, I would just encourage you to begin putting him first in your day. Now, if you're out of shape physically and you begin working out, what's going to happen? You're going to be gung-ho on days one, two, and three, and then you're going to skip for two weeks. And you're going to get so discouraged that you failed, that you're going to give up. Friends, the same thing's going to happen spiritually. Don't go crazy with this. I'm going to wake up tomorrow at 3.30 a.m. and I'm going to fellowship with God for six hours before I go to, you know, like, don't, don't do that. That's like trying to go from being overweight to running a marathon um, on the first day of working out. It's just like it's not going to work. So uh, take everything I've said with a grain of salt. Don't go crazy. Do this in moderation and work up your spiritual, uh, I don't know what the word is, but you do. So you know what I mean. All right. Let me say this and we're going we're gonna to close in prayer. Some of you here are not yet ready to have this fellowship that I talked about today with God because you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You haven't yet asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and therefore there's a barrier of sin blocking your fellowship with God Almighty. Well, take a look at what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's your, it's your last verse. Here I am, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll go in and eat with him and he with me. Just yesterday, Kristen and I had some friends over and, and we ate food around the table. When Jesus talks about eating food with, with, with you, he's just talking about having a time of fellowship with you. Jesus is saying, hey, the Heavenly Father would love to fellowship with you. Jesus is saying, I'd love to begin a relationship with you, but, but we can't have this time of fellowship until the barrier of your sin has been removed. Once that's been removed, hey, you can fellowship with God, you know, all the time, but not an until. So today, Jesus is being very clear from this scripture. He's knocking on the door of your heart, and he's saying, will you let me in to deal with the problem that sin has created in your life? It's blocked your fellowship with God. But I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I want to come in. If you'll let me in, I'll take care of the problem sin's created, and you can have fellowship with God once again. If that's you today, and you want that sin to be removed, and you want that fellowship with God uh, to become a reality in your life, I just want to lead you in, in a prayer.
Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I'm not going to ask you to say this out loud. I'm going to ask you to say this prayer in your heart to God, if you'd like to. Say something along these lines. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Heavenly Father, I'm just asking that Jesus would indeed come into my heart. The door to my heart, I'm opening today to Jesus so that he can come in and he can remove the sin that blocks my fellowship with you. God, what a privilege to spend time with you each and every day. I'm so grateful that you want to fellowship with me in that way. I count it the great privilege that we've talked about today. Jesus, I'm asking you in. I'm asking you to remove the sin so I can have time with God each day. Lord, show me what I need to do today to deepen my daily quiet time with you, to deepen my fellowship with you. Show me what next step I need to take today to win the battle of the blankets or whatever it is I might need to do. God, I can't do these things on my own, but I know that when I'm empowered by your Holy Spirit, with God, all things are possible. God, I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, your first that you gave to us that we might be forgiven of our sins and that we might inherit eternal life. It's in his name we pray. Amen and amen.